Folks, let me tell you something. If you do nothing, your debt problem will stay the same. Folks, if you're going to deal with your debt problem or any problem in your life, you've got to take times to get alone with God and hear His voice, His guidance for what He wants you to do. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The word relinquish is defined in Merriam-Webster's dictionary as to stop holding physically, to give over possession or control of. So how does this relate to our faith? On today's program, David gives us insights into the Old Testament character of Elisha in a message called Relinquishment. Again, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 are our verses today. Uh, before I get there, let me share with you just a little review and then the context of these verses. The review is that this series on provision is looking at four major biblical characters, Abraham, Elijah, Elisha, and an unnamed character we'll look at next week. And each of them show that how when someone's willing to give, open their hands to give to God, God is their provider. Abraham offering Isaac, there we see the name Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider, as God provided the ram instead of Isaac. Last week, we looked at Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, and how when he gave his life to God, God led him to the book Cherith, where he was fed supernaturally by ravens, unclean birds, bringing him food every morning and every evening in a miraculous way. As he gave his life, God provided for him. Then we saw how he went to Zarephath, and with the widow there, who only had one little small vial of flour and oil, Elijah I just said, give that to me, the prophet of God. And she said, okay, I'll give it to you, but I don't know where the rest is going to come from. God supernaturally provided flour and oil for her for the rest of her days until the rains started to come and she could have a harvest herself. So again, as she gave, God provided. Today's another kind of a story in a similar way as this widow meets Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, the prophet, and God supernaturally takes care of all of her needs. Now, real quickly, context, who is Elisha? Well, when Elijah had the huge battle with the prophet Sabael on Mount Carmel, he ran away after it was over when he learned that Ahab and Jezebel, the evil king and queen of that area who worshiped Baal, wanted Elijah dead. He ran into the wilderness, went under a broom tree and said, God, just take me home. I am just ready to die. I have had enough. Anybody ever felt that way? Just tired. Lord, take me home. Well, God renews him, restores his body, soul, and spirit, and then calls him back into ministry. And the first thing he does is he meets Elisha, another prophet of God, and basically Elijah mentors Elisha. And interestingly, at the end of Elijah's existence on this earth, Elisha says, here's what I want more than anything else. I want God to give me a double portion of the Holy Spirit he's given you. It was like he knew the battles he would have to face with Ahab and Jezebel would be so great, he needed two times more of the Holy Spirit's power than Elijah had. And God gave that to Elisha, and then Elijah was taken into heaven by a chariot of fire, one of only two people in the Bible who never faced death, Enoch and Elijah. Now, Elisha is left to deal with Ahab and Jezebel. Thus comes the story of the widow and her needs. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your children feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? 
And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So let me give you an explanation of these verses, basically dividing it up into four acts of a play, if you will, and each act will lead to the next one. The first one is basically the problem. The problem is debt, huge debt from the widow. We see it in verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. So this husband of this wife died. Who is this husband? Well, he's one of the sons of the prophets. There were a group of prophets who railed against Ahab and Jezebel, but they had to go in hiding as Ahab and Jezebel more and more wanted them dead. According to rabbinic tradition, there was one particular prophet by the name of Obadiah, whom Elijah knew very well. He hid 100 prophets from Ahab and Jezebel. This rabbinic tradition suggests that Obadiah, this prophet of God, is the husband of this wife. And it could be that he, in order to support these 100 prophets hidden from Ahab and Jezebel, had to go into debt, borrow money with interest in order to pay for their particular needs. Rabbinic tradition suggests that the one who loaned Obadiah this money was named Jehoram. Jehoram was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. So he was more than willing for Obadiah to go into debt with interest because he would then control the life of Obadiah. Then Obadiah dies, and his widow is left with nothing except two boys and a huge debt. So you can imagine she would hear on her door a knock and wonder who was on the other side of the door. Could it be one of the creditors or maybe even Jehoram himself? She was in a bind. She couldn't pay off this debt. Plus, according to Jewish law in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39, that if someone can't pay off a debt, the boys in the family, the sons in the family can be conscripted to work as slaves until the debt is paid off. So that's what's happening with this woman. She's fearful of her life. She's fearful of her sons. And she's thinking, oh, I've lost my husband. I'm about to lose my two boys. I'm going to be left alone with nothing except a huge indebtedness. 
By the way, for those of you who are concerned about the contemporary issue of sex trafficking, which is huge all over the world, this is one of the major ways sex trafficking happens today. Families go into debt, and the moms and the dads actually sell their kids into sex slavery to pay off their debts. This is an issue of yesterday. It's an issue of today, too. So what does she do? She turns to Elisha for help because she knows the problem of debt. The Bible speaks about it a lot. For example, Proverbs 22, 7. Would you read this verse with me? The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is what? The slave of the lender. Isn't it true? For those of you who have great debt, you know you're a slave. You're a slave to the bank that holds your loan. And if the Lord God of hosts asked you to do something with money that he's given to you, you'd first have to go to the God of debt and ask permission before you can obey the Lord God of hosts. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul says, don't have any debt. If you've got any debt, owe somebody a debt of love. Let your love be so profound that that's what you owe somebody else. Because if you owe people great debtedness monetarily, you are a slave to them. Interestingly, in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, as the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land, God instructs Moses to give them particularly obedient uh, uh, commands to obedience so that they can be free. In Deuteronomy 27, God says, make sure you obey my law and do things my way, because if not, you will become a debtor nation. And if you're a debtor nation, you'll be a slave to other nations. And on the other hand, he says in Deuteronomy 28, if you'll obey my law and do things my way, you'll not have that debt and you'll always be a lender nation. Let me ask you a question. Nationally, which is better, to be a lender nation or a debtor nation? Yeah, lender nation, because then you control your future. America, within the last 30 to 40 years, has moved from the world's greatest lender nation to now being the world's greatest debtor nation. And by the way, the debt load nationally is only a reflection of what's going on in our homes individually. We put up with the debt ourselves, so we put up with it nationally. But let me ask you the question. Do you really want me to go here? We keep electing these people. We keep electing people who continue to put us day after day, month after month, year after year, in a greater debtor nation position. Why do we do this? We're slaves to China particularly. And the ultimate responsibility rests upon we the people, the voters. Do we really care? The widow cared. She knew the problem of debt. So she cried out to Elisha. And interestingly, that word cried out means moan, weep, shudder in grief. That's what all of us need to do who are in debt, and our nation too. We need to moan and shudder in grief over the problem of debt in our lives. So that's the problem, and here's the plan. Verses 2 through 5, personal responsibility. 
And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, well, go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons and she poured and they brought the vessels to her and the vessels were full as long as she kept presenting the oil to the vessels. So the first thing that Elisha does with the woman, he asks the question, what do you have in the home? If you're going to deal with the debt problem, the first thing you have to do is look at your assets. And too many people grieve over what they've lost in life instead of looking at what they still have. I love the story of Robert Shuler, the famous televangelist. When he was a little boy, he was with his family in the Midwest, and a tornado ripped through his home. His father hid his family in the storm shelter. Finally, they came out, saw their house raised to the ground. Robert Shuler tells how he started to cry at the loss of his home. And his dad put his arms around his son. He said, son, don't ever grieve over what you've lost Always look at what you still have. Elisha's first question, don't look at what you've lost. Let's look at what you still have. Her answer, I have one small pot of oil. Now, some of you are thinking, like last week with the widow at Zarephath, that this must be cooking oil because she had the one small vial of flour, the one vial of oil, and she gave that one cake made from that vial of oil and flour to Elijah, and then God provided the rest for her until the rains started to come. I don't think this is a vial of cooking oil. I think this is a pot of valuable perfume like Mary broke over the feet and head of Jesus, something worth for her six months' salary. I think she kept this in a hidden place for one reason. She knew that the debt load was so huge and her problems so severe that she probably was going to die soon. And she wanted this small vial of perfume oil to anoint her body her dead body, and the bodies of her two sons with this oil. It was the only valuable thing in her life. And Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. Take action. Take responsibility. Folks, let me tell you something. If you do nothing, your debt problem will stay the same. Elisha says, take responsibility. Look at the action verbs. Go borrow, pour out. She had to go borrow vessels from her neighbors. Why? She'd had to sell her own in order simply to make ends meet. She had nothing in the house whatsoever. And can you imagine what it must have been like for her to knock on her neighbor's doors and say, um, I can't explain this. May I borrow as many vessels as you can give me? And she did. She took action. And it's so key if you want to solve the debt problem in your life. So she gathered all the utensils that she could, put them in her house, and then the text says she went in and shut the door. She got alone with God. She dealt with the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. And it's much like Elijah last week at the brook Cherith, after God called him to do what he was supposed to do in confronting Ahab and Jezebel. First, God took him to a place where he dealt one-on-one -on -one with Elijah. Folks, if you're going to deal with your debt problem or any problem in your life, you've got to take times to get alone with God. 
and hear his voice, his guidance for what he wants you to do. That's what happened with the widow. She went away. She shut the door. And it was just she and God wrestling with this problem that she had, trying to hear his desire for her life. So the plan, personal responsibility, take control of this debt problem, Elisha said. Third act, the provision from God himself, verse 6. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. Then the oil stopped flowing. She took her oil, that one small vial that she had, and she poured it into one of the vessels she'd gathered from her neighbors. And then she poured into another and into another and into another. The oil in her vial lasted as long as there was an empty vessel in her house. Do you see what happened here? There was no limit to the amount of oil God would give her except for the number of vessels she possessed. God was able to give to her exceedingly and abundantly beyond what she'd ever hoped for or imagined, but he was limited by the amount of vessels she gave to God. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about gaining a different perspective on rebelliousness. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen. And, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals. And, and we just thank you, Moments of Hope, and just this couldn't be, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And, you know, uh, the, the first call we made uh, when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the Moments of Hope. And it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes. And so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much.
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jen. Nice to be with you, too. Well, today's Davidism is called God's First Two Kids Rebelled. What do you mean by that? Well, I want to give parents out there hope as they have raised children who have rebelled against them or walked away from the Christian faith, I want to give them hope. And here is my hope. God's first two kids rebelled as well. (laughs) Think about that. In the Garden of Eden, God created paradise. And he said to Adam and Eve, you can live in this paradise forever. Just don't eat of that one tree, Genesis 2.17, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't you try to decide what's good and evil. Leave that totally to me. And if you will let me be God and you'll obey all I command you to do, you can live in this paradise forever and ever. And of course, the enemy the evil one, the devil, who is the divider, trying to divide Adam and Eve from God and from one another, comes to Eve and tempts her with a, did God really say to doubt God's word? And then secondly, to get her to deny the consequences of her rebellion against God, which the consequence of eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil will be death. Death was never a part of God's original intent. It's an evil intrusion into God's created order. So she didn't think about the consequences downstream of her behavior. She took the fruit, gave it to Adam. They both partook. And at that moment, death came into the world. Division came into the world between Adam and Eve with God himself. And we have now sin at every single level. Now, here's what's so fascinating. God created them in perfection, in a perfect environment, and yet they still rebelled. Let's give parents hope today. If you have kids who've rebelled, wandering kids who've gone away from their faith, keep praying. Mm -hmm. Keep believing. There's every indication that God pursued Adam and Eve, and even though they hid behind their fig leaves in their shame, it looks like God still pursued them with grace and still had his mark upon them as his beloved children. I have every expectation that we'll meet Adam and Eve in heaven. The same is true for us as parents. Keep praying. Mm -hmm. Keep believing. God's grace is stronger than sin, and there's nothing stronger especially than the prayers of a mama. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. The mama's prayers are so powerful. Keep believing. Believe your kids will be restored one day. And I would say to all the listeners out there who may be wandering in their faith right now, if you've got a praying mom, you might as well give up. (laughs) You're toast. I mean, go ahead and give your life continually to the Lord. He will then respond accordingly. This is so encouraging to me as a parent because I want to look at my kids sometimes and just grab their little cheeks and say, why would you make this poor choice? You Mm. have, you know, I have not taught you to do this. And it's a good reminder that... God has been there, done that. I can lean on his strength and his leadership for my children. You can. And for parents out there who have children who've wandered and they feel such guilt and shame over the fact their children haven't followed in the path that they set out for them, it's a reminder that even God's first two children rebelled. Mm -hmm. It's not unusual for that to happen, but there's always hope. Grace conquers sin. Keep praying. Keep believing. And I've seen through the years so many wandering children come back to the faith 
faith because of the seeds that have been planted in the hearts of their children early on. This is so encouraging. Such a good word for us today. Thank you, David. Yeah, parents, don't give up. It's not over till it's over. That's what Yogi Berra used to say (laughs) all the time. Your kids are still in the hands of God. If you'd like to receive these daily written e-blasts from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They're free of charge from my heart to yours so that each day you can begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. I hope you have a great weekend.